Well, anyway, my name is Jeff. I didn't introduce myself, so hey, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, welcome for those who are here uh, with us this morning and those who are out on Facebook Live. Um, we're glad you guys are here with us. Uh, we're in the me- middle, like I just talked about, our, of our series in Ephesians uh, called Life is Calling, where we're going chapter by chapter through Paul's letter to these early Christians, trying to figure out what does it mean to be included in God's family? How do, we in our life, uh, how do we live our lives in this crazy world, and how do we make sense of this new reality as a Christ follower? If you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you, we have our, our sermons uh, videoed on Facebook, or you can also check out the audio on our website. You can catch up, because we are going chapter by chapter, so it's fun to just see how things are building in the letter of Ephesians that we're going through right now. So will you guys join me in prayer as we enter into God's Word together? God, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. God, I I thank you and praise you that your spirit is here in this place with us in our lives and in the town of Sumner. God, we thank you for the work that you do in us and through us by your Holy Spirit's power. And God, as we gather here this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to your truth and wisdom this morning through your word. May it take root in our lives and bear fruit for your glory and honor. And God, may the meditation of my heart and the words from my mouth be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, have you ever had a situation in your life that was life-altering? That shifted the way you think or maybe even transformative? It could be something big. It could be something small. Maybe it was something big and it was tragic and it was hard, like a divorce, losing a loved one or falling out with a friend, and it changed the way you thought about life, how you acted in life. Or maybe it was something small. Maybe you read a book that changed your perspective, that opened your mind to a different view of the world. And after reading it, you said, huh, I think I'm going to live a little differently. Or maybe it was something as simple as learning to do something different then you grew up doing it. I've had a lot of experiences in my life, and one of them was a very small experience, but it did some major transformation in my life. It all happened in my freshman year of college. In fact, right at the beginning of my first month in college, my parents drove me out from Colorado to Chicago, Illinois, where I went to school for my undergrad in North Park University, and we packed their minivan with a bunch of my belongings, probably too many, than I should have brought as a freshman moving into a very small dorm. And my parents, being good parents that they were, helped provide for me, and so they stocked me up on everything Costco size that I could possibly need for the year. I had my Costco laundry detergent, big old box, which is not fun carrying up flights of stairs, mind you. I had a big old thing of shampoo and conditioner back when I had hair, and and some soap, too, and all the other things that I could need as a college student, so I didn't have to buy it. It's just the way my mom and dad tried to support me. And with that, all my belongings and the things I needed, trying to fit it into my small little dorm room. Well, about a month into my college career, uh, I was doing laundry. Every Saturday morning, I'd go hit up the cafeteria, grab breakfast, and then do a couple loads of laundry in the morning, because most people weren't awake yet, so that was beneficial. I had the laundry to myself. And uh, I wanted to get ready for the day. I wanted to go hang out with my friends. I wanted to be able to have the night and the rest of the weekend free. Um, but one of my friends stopped me because he saw that I was doing laundry and not lots of laundry every morning. And he's like, why are you doing so much laundry? 
how can you, one person, have so many clothes? And I'm like, well, I just have the amount of clothes I'm wearing a week, but then I have my towels. And he's like, towels? I'm like, yeah, my towels. I have one for each day, so I have seven towels. I got to do, I got to do laundry, otherwise it get moldy in my room, and like, I got to make sure I do my towels. And he's like, bro. <laughs> he shakes his head and tells me something I never knew because it wasn't the way I grew up. He used one towel. He's like, I got one towel and I wash it once a week. And then I don't have to do a load of towels. I'm like, ding. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. It's going to save me quarters. I can go buy soda now and I can do all these things because I'm not spending all this money on laundry. I can have more time. And it blew my mind. Something that simple transformed my life. Something I had never thought about just because that's the way I grew up. I grew up with using a towel and throwing it in the laundry. That's the way my family grew up. That's the way my parents still do it today. And so when we go stay with them and visit, we use a towel, we throw it in the laundry because they like to do laundry every night, I guess. So, but it transformed my life. And as small as this is, a lot of us have experienced things like that that have transformed our lives. But this morning, the section of scripture that we're going to be reading today has, is way more important and way more transformative to our lives than my little towel story. <laughs> life is calling. Life of abundance. That's what Paul is talking about this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So let's read that together as we dive into God's word here. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live and when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at a time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of, our, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming of ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul opens up this section of scripture as he continues in his letter and is pointing to the Ephesians and to us what our lives was like, what our lives were like before Christ. Before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And this death is not a physical death. Most of us know that because we, right now, unless something happened, we're not dead <laughs> here. And the Ephesians knew this too. They were alive. And so when Paul was writing this letter, they could definitely grasp that this was something different. This wasn't a physical death. There was something more to this. This was a spiritual death that was the result of being in bondage of sin. This is where we all started. This is where our, our former life all began. 
before Christ. Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Jesus is stating here is that if we're going to experience true life, like Paul is talking about in this section of scripture, if we're going to experience true life, it is through him. It's not through all these other things. Only life, the life outside of Christ isn't the full life God intended for us. And Paul helps us understand and kind of puts us back in our former way of life so we have a better understanding. And he does this by giving us the scope of the way our life is in bondage, the influences that we have that are constantly leading us, can possibly leading us astray and did before Christ. And the first one is the ways of the world. Many of us can be trapped by this. We just go with the flow. That's what everybody else is doing. That's how everybody else is living. That's the goals that everybody else is setting. It seems all right. There's, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. And we just follow the ways of the world, not realizing that we're being separated from God. That's an influence in our life. That is one of the ways that sin and the devil use to entangle us. And the next influence that has a way to bind us to sin is the, ru- the ruler of the kingdom of air, which is the devil. That's just another phrase for the devil. And he tempts us, and he, he tries to pull us away from God, just like he did uh, Jesus in his temptation in the desert. He speaks truth and lies to us. And when we get a hold of those lies, he, lies, he has a power in our lives. And the other influence in our lives that leads to bondage and sin is just our own flesh, sinful desires that each and every one of us has. If we're left to our own accord, if we're left to our own path, we're left to our own decisions without the Holy Spirit's power, without knowing who Jesus Christ is, we will be led astray. We naturally desire a lust for power and money and all kinds of different things. It's different between each one of us. But we all have things that draw us away from the Lord. And it's all about ourselves. These are the ways that sin entangles us. And because of our bond with sin, we deserve wrath. Now this word, wrath, a lot of people get really hung up on this word. When Paul is speaking about wrath, Paul is not thinking of an uncontrolled outburst of angry passion on God's um, part, nor some impersonal wrath. Rather, wrath points to God's constant displeasure and reaction against sin. I want to point out a couple of things because people do get hung up here. Like, how can God be loving and be a wrathful God? This is one of the biggest questions, especially outside of the church, I hear And I'd love to try to answer that the best I can right now without talking about it the whole entire sermon. And I think first we have to come to grips that love and anger are not opposites. I'm going to say that again. Love and anger are not opposites. Oftentimes we act like they are. But if we read through scripture, we see that God often becomes angry and upset. So if, if God is love, and he becomes angry, that can't be the opposite of love. 
Are you guys with me? <laughs> and then, so that leaves us that love and hate are actually opposites. We can deeply love and be angry at the same time. Have you ever been a parent or married? <laughs> Have you ever had somebody really close to you? We love our children. We love our spouse. But we can get angry. We can get upset when, they, when we see them doing things continually destructive to themselves, to others, or even to us. We want what's best for them. Just like God wants what's best for us. Think about how we feel when we see somebody we love making unwise actions and decisions or in unwise relationships. I know as a former youth pastor, all my students that I had while serving up in Alaska are all adults now. And with social media, I get to see what they're up to. And if they're watching, hey guys. (laughs) And I get to see some of these kids that I ministered to, that I did life with while I was up in Alaska, and their passion for the Lord. And now that I see them as adults, I see some of them going astray. Some of them following the ways of the world instead of the Lord. Some of them getting consumed by their own sinful, lustful desires, and some being outright tempted by the devil. And it's painful. It's painful when you've invested time and energy into those kids through the power of God. It's hard. And so I can identify it, but not quite in the way the Lord is. And I think you guys can too, if you've experienced that. Sin entangles us. It affects our lives, our thoughts. It affects everything. And that's why it binds us. That's why it leads to death. Paul knew this well. Paul knew this very well, and that's why he's describing it like this. And I was trying to think of a way that I could just conceptualize that. And the only way I could conceptualize that was through just the analogy of ivy. I've never lived in a place where there's so much vines and ivy ever. And man, that stuff's a nuisance now, renting a house and having to try to do landscaping. And man, that stuff is everywhere. And it grows so fast. Like I, yeah, you cut it and it's next thing is there, it's right back. And I was like, holy cow. And like, that's what sin is. It gets into everything. And ivy's the same way. Like I have a chain link fence along the side of my house and it's just interwoven. If I was to attempt to just try to pull that ivy out and I was strong enough, I would pull down the whole entire fence because it's so rooted and bonded to that fence. I even found an ivy shoot coming through my basement as I was doing laundry the other day. I was like, that shouldn't be there. (laughs) It gets everywhere. Sometimes we don't treat sin as serious as we need to Because we don't realize how much it can entangle our lives and how much it can skew our thoughts and our perceptions of life. And nobody knew this better than Paul, the guy writing this letter. Prior to Christ, he thought he was honoring God the best way he knew how to. How? He was persecuting and murdering Christians. Sin was a part of his life. It corrupted his thoughts so much that he lost sight of the God he was trying to serve. And it wasn't until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he had a powerful encounter with Christ that his life was transformed and he saw the error of his ways and his bondage to sin was broken through the power of Christ. Paul knew that. Paul is also trying to make a big deal out of this. And I think he's doing this for two reasons. One, he's trying to set us up 
So we have a good, solid understanding of the gift of grace that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. But he also is reminding us of where we've come from. It's important to remember where you come from. That we too were lumped into that place where we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That we were on that road that leads to nowhere because we weren't with Christ. We have to remember that because we need, that develops empathy and compassion and understanding. And this is needed for us to reach out to those who are still there. If we receive the grace of God and receive the power that he has given us, and we turn our backs on everybody else in this world that we live around, then we are not fulfilling the mission of God. And I question whether the love and the, uh, and the grace of God has truly impacted your heart. These things are important for us. We must, that's why Paul, in all his letters, he's constantly reminding people of the sin that entangled their lives, and he's telling them about their salvation and the power that is in it. Because he knew this was important. He knew we could be persuaded somewhere else. He knew we could lose our sights and begin to follow the ways of the world again. This builds empathy. It says, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. All of us. I remember empathy was um, pivotal in my cross-country career. I know this is like a side note, but like I, my sophomore year of high school, I decided to join the cross-country team. I, do I look like a runner? No. <laughs> but I wanted to get in more shape. And I was a little skinnier back then. And uh, a bunch of my friends did cross-country, and I decided to go to this Christian running camp uh, right before the, my first cross-country season because I needed to get in shape. And I was living in Colorado. We went up to Rocky Mountain National Park to this camp. So we're at high altitude. We're doing two days. We're running four miles in the morning and then hiking slash running six to eight in the afternoon. And I was lucky if I was getting a mile in every now and then. And so first thing in the morning, we'd get up, we'd jump on a bus, and we'd go run four miles before breakfast. It was the worst. <laughs> and I would always be the last person in. All the ladies would be me. All the guys would be me. And I'd be coming in. Um, but as I got closer and closer to the end of the trail every morning, they were all standing there clapping. Yeah, Jeff, go. Come on, you're almost done. Finish. Finish strong. Sprint. Let's go to breakfast. <laughs> and that was powerful to me. I know it's small, but that was powerful to me because it gave me the motivation every morning to get up and run and do the work because I knew I was scared that I was uh making them upset and I was scared that I was you know causing everybody to wait longer on breakfast and um and to see that they were encouraging and motivating they had empathy for me because they knew they weren't they once were there too they weren't all gifted runners out of the womb they all had to start where I started too and so the next year when I went to the cross-country camp Man, I took time to run with those who were slower than me because I knew they could use the encouragement. And I made sure that I clapped and screamed and cheered as soon as I got to the bus for all those that were the last ones to come in. It transformed my life. And it made me realize how much empathy is important. And that compassion and understanding where we come from helps us minister to those who are around us. 
So where are you at with that? Because there's a couple of sins that can happen fairly easy, especially in church. When we lose our compassion, when we lose our empathy towards those who are still following the ways of the world. We can become judgmental, look down upon those who are still lost and still struggling. And still leading lives that we no longer leave, lead. And we can become self-righteous. We can put ourselves above them. And act like we know the way and do it with judgment too. It's important to know where you come from. It helps us minister to others. Now Paul transitions into where I think it gets exciting. And this passage transitions from talking about our former way of life to our life in Christ. In verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the main point of the text. God's love for us. He will not stay out of our lives. He's God. He can do what he wants, but he chooses not to be a God that's absent. He chooses not to be a God that doesn't have compassion, that doesn't have empathy. He chooses to be a God that's engaged, and even engaged when we're not ready for him to be engaged. So God in his mercy, even though when we haven't committed to him, even though when we're still aligned with the world, even though when we're still sinners, even though we might not even change the direction of our life, God sent Christ for all of us. God, by the mercy and through the grace and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, give us this gift of life. Everyone, no matter where we were at, this flows out of God's character. Before we could do anything, before we could earn anything, before we could even acknowledge his love, God showed his mercy on us. God showed his love on us. God gave us grace. This has always been true of God's character. If you read the Bible from the front to the back, you will see this theme constantly repeated. God's pursuit of his people. You see Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they sin and they go hide in the garden. What does God do? pursues them and gives them grace. The Israelites, saved out of Egypt, see God do all these miraculous like plagues and signs and they're led by a tower of fire and a a pillar of clouds and the sea parts, all these amazing things that you would think, I want to worship God. This God is real. This God loves me. He just saved me from these oppressors. But they grumble in the desert. But God still has grace for them. He gives them quail and manna and water and takes care of them. And then when they arrive at the promised land, you think, all right, now they're going to get it. Now they're going to realize that God loves them because he's providing this area, the land flowing of milk and honey. He's given this land to them. They They just walked in, they got it. And then what happens? They go into this cycle of sin and adultery following the ways of the world, falling into temptation, desiring to be like the other kingdoms on the earth. 
But God sends his prophets. God draws them back to him. And God gives them grace. This is our God. He is a God of pursuit. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. Oftentimes we forget the depth of God's grace. Paul is using such language to try to help us understand the depth of this gift. And sometimes we, we get salvation, but we really don't fully comprehend and fathom the exhaustible supply of God's gracious gift. It's hard for us to understand because that's not the way we work as humans oftentimes. Things are transactional with us. Oh, that person hurt me. Not going to trust them anymore. Oh, that person wronged me. I'm going to be bitter. And we don't live that way when we should. Because this is what God models for us. I struggle to understand that fathomable gift. But oftentimes art and music speak to me in a way that sometimes the word of God it does affect me, but it, it helps me understand it more. And there's a song called How He Loves that was made famous by David Crowder. And it says this, and the imagery is what draws me in. And it's simple, but if you take the time to imagine the picture these words are painting, it's crazy. It helps me begin to understand the depth of God's love and grace for me. It says, love like a hurricane. And he's referring to God. Love like a hurricane. Who uses that? That's violence. <laughs> wow. But as we've been plagued with hurricanes along our coast, we've seen just the, the massive power behind hurricanes. The love like a hurricane, and I'm a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. I don't know if you ever catch on the news those trees that look like our trees here that are just rubber hurricane that that's the depth of god's love that's the the force of god's love for us and the other line in that song too if his grace is an ocean then we're all sinking man i've only been out on the ocean a few times in my life but when you get out there and you can't see land it's crazy (laughs) and super scary for somebody who doesn't really like to be on boats (laughs) and just imagine that you're sinking in there the 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 depth of the ocean is huge. The, the amount of water that would be surrounding you if you were sinking. Once again, a, a different kind of image that we maybe not use usually for God's love helps us to understand the grandeur of it. And it doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there at all. God's love doesn't stop there. Because he could. He could just save us and we could be there and we're... We're good to go, but God does more because our God is a God of abundance. He's calling us to a life of abundance in him. And God, in verse 6, it says this. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Do you get that? He's be- we're being raised with Christ. And from our place of death to a place of resurrection in new life, that Paul uses this to describe the transfer of that realm to the death, to life. And the intent here is to underscore that the life of believers, is the life we believers now have in Christ. With that life comes privilege, honor, security, responsibility, because we're co-heirs with Christ. It's just not Christ that's seated up there. Paul is talking about how we are risen and we sit with Christ. So therefore, 
God is empowering us just as he empowered Christ. So he doesn't just give us and save us. He gives us a life of abundance that empowers us to live a life that he has called us to live. He provides everything. He just needs a vessel. He just needs people who are willing to accept the gift and want to honor him with his life. Where are you today? Are you there? Are you doing it? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've just been like, eh, just doing my own thing for now. Maybe you need to re-stoke that fire in you from your original salvation. And remember what God has done for you and how great of a joy it is to serve the Lord. How great it is to have his grace upon us. And how great it is for others to have it too. And this leads us right into the last verse, which is our purpose. So he, God you know, saves us. He he empowers us, and, and now we get to not only be co-heirs with Christ, but we get to be co-laborers with Christ. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word, handiwork, is not the way I usually read it growing up. It's workmanship. And so I was like looking at it, I'm like, okay, so what's the translation of that? Because it's two kind of funky words, and... <laughs> And the most literal translation from the original Greek to uh, English is, His creation, we are. Sounds a little Yoda-ish to me, if you watch Star Wars. (laughs) His creation, we are. It's a little backwards, but we're His creation. He designed us to live this life with Him. He designed us. This is our purpose. And so once we receive the love of Christ, then He has prepared work for us to do. We are co-laborers with Him. And this is like a positive flow. This is like a flow out of our salvation, not that we do these works in order to continue our salvation, in order to earn our salvation, in order to continue our right relationship with God. No, this flows out of our salvation, and that, pot, that understanding is important. Because when we get in that easy cycle to be, try to earn favor from God and try to earn our salvation, we're missing the point. We can never do that. This is a free gift. We labor with Christ. We do the work that God has set out for us to do because this is our worship. This is our response to the gift. This is our response to his love. We want to see more people in loving God and in a right relationship. We want to see more people um, breaking free from the bondage of sin. And there's a communal level here too. Like this, we've been talking very you and I, but this letter was written to a group of people. It wasn't just written to one person. And so there's a communal level that we have to take into into understanding. And remember that Paul is talking to a community, a church much like ours. And realize that each one of us is created by God uniquely. Each one of us serves the Lord with a purpose. And when you come into the saving faith, he's designed you in such a way that you fit together with this community here. In traveling to Israel, there was so many amazing mosaic art pieces throughout Israel. I was just dumbfounded. We got a few, I think, up there that I took from my trip to Israel. And that's a bunch of little itty-bitty tiles. that compose that beautiful piece of artwork. Small little tiles, like an inch big, 
hand-placed in such a way that we get this bigger picture. And I think this is such a beautiful representation of what God means when he says that we're his handiwork and we think about it in a communal way. That God's placed each and every one of you here a part of this faith community for a purpose. For his purposes. That we fit together. That we are designed to work together much like those little tiles make up that art. When a handful of those tiles is taken out of that picture, it's still there, it still functions, but it's not as beautiful. It doesn't strike you as much as the complete picture. So it's true with us. God desires us to work together, to draw each other near, to spur each other on in good work for the Lord, to be an encouragement to each other, to remind each other where we came from and to remind ourselves, just as Paul did, of how God has worked in our life. So for most of us, I believe in this room, we've had a time in our lives where we've encountered God and it's been transformative. We've chosen to follow him with our lives. So now it's time for the work. And there's no retirement in the kingdom. Just to let you know. I read that in one of my theology books once. <laughs> it really struck me. I was like, I never thought of that. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. So I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you've, this is the first time you've heard the gospel. And you didn't realize what God has done for us and what God is calling us to. Maybe this is the first time you've heard of him in regards to love. And I want to challenge you to enter into a relationship with him today. Because he's calling you. He wants your life to be a life full of abundance, as he has promised. He wants you to be part of the mosaic of his body, doing the work here on earth so others can come into the saving knowledge and the joy that it is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those who have already done that, I just ask this question. Where are you at? Is that fire still there? Do you still desire to be there? I know mine goes out. If I'm honest, I know mine goes out sometimes. (laughs) Then I wake up some mornings, I'm like, not today. (laughs) But I need that rekindled. I need to remember the joy of my salvation. Remember the time when I was in seventh grade and I encountered the Lord in a big and powerful way at camp for the first time. And he changed the course of my life. Changed my direction. And that wasn't the last time he changed it. He took me from life to, uh, from death to life at that point in time. But then I was going one way and God took me another way and brought me into ministry. Okay, Lord. <laughs> I just plan on doing construction all my life. <laughs> God has a way of changing us and transforming us. We've got to re- remember that. We've got to remember where we came from and the power that is in the gospel. You guys pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a good God, that you remind us of this because we can easily forget. God, no matter where we're at this morning, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit's power just come and move in our lives. 
that you would draw us into your presence, helping us identify where we are and what you're calling us to and how we can grow in you. How we can grow together as a church and learn to serve each other and serve this community even better than we're doing all right right now. And God, I pray for those who who have never been in a relationship with you that might be out there uh, on Facebook with us today or here in the service. And God, I pray that you would just speak to them in a way that calls them into a relationship with you. So I pray that for them right now. So God, we just thank you and we praise you. We want to give you all the glory and honor and all we say to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.